This episode of Hitting Play is brought to you by Dave's Blueprint Emporium. Come to Dave's Blueprint Emporium. You break into some place, what you need is a blueprint. You need the paper for the blueprints. You need to break into places, get the blueprints, get the right stuff. Forget about guns and knives. You need the paper to get into that place. You need to write it down. Come to more place. I got sheets and sheets of blue paper. Everyone uses it. It's great. Hello and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me on my mission for this episode, from the hills and valleys of Pennsylvania, is our resident Star Wars expert, Paul. Paul, welcome back. Hey Scott, it's good to be back. Good to have you. Also joining us on this mission, from the great city of Melbourne, Australia, Hamish. Welcome back. Hey, how you going? Doing good, doing good. Well, gentlemen, it is a period of civil war. Rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against the evil Galactic Empire. During the battle, Rebel spies managed to steal secret plans to the Empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Star, an armored space station with enough power to destroy an entire planet. Now, it's a clever premise for a Star Wars movie, and as you may already know, the words I just read are taken word for word from the opening crawl of A New Hope. And it's, it's crazy that the story of this movie, Rogue One, colon, a Star Wars story, has really been staring us in the face for decades. We just needed Disney's millions to uh, make it a reality. Pretty much. Well, this week, in anticipation of Rogue One, we are breaking down the recently released teaser trailer. It's really our first glimpse at the next cinematic installment in the Star Wars franchise. Now, guys, the last time we all recorded together, we discussed at length our thoughts about Episode 7, The Force Awakens, but now we're getting ready for something a little different. It's not an episode, but a film they're calling A Star Wars Story. So let me start by asking you guys your thoughts about taking a break between episodes to present a Star Wars spinoff movie featuring a story from the past, one of many anthology movies, as they're referring to them as. Uh, I think it's interesting. I mean, it's it's great that they're actually getting an opportunity now, uh, and they actually have a huge fan base. Like they checked with the uh, the latest movie, uh, uh, and that movie kind of re-inspired a whole lot of people. And seeing that there's been huge interest, uh, and also huge interest in the expanded universe, that's that you know that's uh, that was bridging the gap between the last film and the newest film. Uh, and there's been you know, so many fans and so many writers who've put together that expanded universe. Uh, there are a lot of people who are still in love with that idea that there's more out there beyond Luke and you know the whole other Jedi's. So with this and with um, I guess technology being the way it is and being uh, super excited that the first newest movie was a complete success, I think it's you know it's about time that they took a chance and uh, create something completely different. I mean it's different now that you actually haven't got a lead character that you actually are familiar with. Yeah. Yet it's still set in that huge universe where, uh, yeah, we know about, you know, stormtroopers and we all know about, you know, how they eradicated all the uh, Jedi. But I think it's really interesting that you're now taking a chance and expanding on that uh, film universe uh, to take all the elements that we are familiar with and then put different people in those situations. And no Jedis this time. This is going to be the first time without a Jedi coming to save the day. Yeah, which I think really raises the stakes. 
seeing as many of the other rumors were that uh, they might have Darth Vader in this movie, mm. uh, which which would be great. I mean, it would turn him into basically the T-Rex of Jurassic Park, you know, the unstoppable evil. Yeah. Where everyone else is not really equipped for that kind of action. So, you know, as soon as he, if he did turn up in this movie, he'd basically just wipe you know, everyone out, really. Right. I like what Disney's doing. I think putting two years between the the saga movies will uh, maximize the interest and how you know how long they keep people invested in it. It's obviously a foreign concept being a Star Wars fan my whole life to all of a sudden be looking forward to a new movie every year. Um, obviously, they're doing something similar to what they've been doing with Marvel, having standalone films for Captain America and Thor and Iron Man and then throwing them all together in the Avengers movies. You know, it'd be nice if they had filmed all three of the saga back to back to back like Peter Jackson did with the Lord of the Rings movies. But I can understand why they're not doing that. Uh, One of the reasons, the big reasons, is they have a different director doing each movie. Yeah. So they need to, uh, you know, take a break for that reason. I'm sure they don't have the the script all written for nine. And I think they also are stopping to gauge the interest and gauge what people are saying, get some feedback from the fans. I read that because people liked Ray, Finn, and Poe so much. They ended up going back to the script for eight and changing it so that they gave them more screen time and cut down on some of the newer characters they were going to introduce. Yeah, they did a lot of changes. Yeah, so it seems to be kind of a fluid thing, and it makes sense to take a year off, but at the same time, you know, put something out there. It might be a little confusing for anyone who's not a hardcore fan paying attention. I know I showed this trailer to my wife, and about a minute and a half into it, she was like, where's Ray? (laughs) So I had to say, oh, I should have probably prefaced this by saying, this is totally different. This is before New Hope. But uh, I think you might run into a lot of that with just the casual fans or whatever. They might be a little confused what's going on. But I think it's a good idea, and I'm looking forward to it, especially the different tone that this seems to have and maybe not as fun and comical as Force Awakens was. Mm, yeah, it's really got that different uh, feel to it. But being that it's not part of the, I guess, main series, I think you're allowed to have that kind of look because I think the main series has a certain romantic feel about it and, you know, has a classic cinema feel about it. Uh, and so moving away from that, you haven't got you have Luke Skywalker and you haven't got that kind of, you know, young boy story and, you know, him growing up and things like that. Uh, oh, you got this, was it Wise Jedi? And you got this, was it uh, a certain weight of the characters talking about the past and this whole religion which you know has slowly and slowly been uh, extinguished you have this entire thing with people who don't really uh, probably don't care about jedis and just kind of live within the universe yeah you know it's, it's really expanding on the whole idea of um a lived-in universe you know not just being like you know here are the characters uh moving through one place to another but we're always with the characters it's like here are some people who actually live within the universe you know like the common people like us yeah and this is this is very much a war movie. This isn't necessarily the hero's journey, although we'll get a little bit of that as as we'll see probably with uh, the Jin Erso character. But you know, this is uh, not Luke's arc. This is happening independent of that, or before it, I should say. 
And uh, like you said, wor- world building and just uh, an interesting exploration of this giant universe that they've built over the years. Yeah, part war movie and part heist movie. Yeah. A la, uh, you know, Ocean's Eleven or something like that. <laughs> now, this movie is scheduled to be released on December 16th, 2016. So as the, at the time we record this, uh, you know, only a few months away. Uh, it's directed by Gareth Edwards. The screenplay is by Chris Weitz, and the story is by Gary Whitta and John Knoll. Now, did you guys hear about the genesis of this film? Uh, no. Well, as the story goes, uh, Kathleen Kennedy, who is kind of the uh, taking the helm of Lucasfilm for Disney, you know, she's getting all kinds of pitches from everybody, and it's just it, it gets to the point where you don't want to hear it from anybody. Everyone's got a pitch for a new movie. You mean like Chewbacca going on like a Roman holiday? Yeah, pretty much everything, yes. I I want that movie. I really want that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm just picturing Chewbacca with a Hawaiian shirt on a surfboard. Yeah, drinking out of a coconut. (laughs) Then he goes surfing and picks up ladies. Life Day. Life Day Part (laughs) 2. The Holiday. Well, anyway, as the story goes, John Knoll, who is the Lucasfilm chief creative officer, he actually joined ILM way back in 1986. So he's been with the company for a very long time. Uh, As the story goes, he approached Kathleen Kennedy in 2012, and because it was him, she was willing to hear him out. And he had a very simple pitch, and this is a quote. He said, I just have this very simple idea about the rebel spies in the opening crawl of A New Hope who steal plans for the Death Star. And Kennedy's reply, that is a very good idea, John. So now four years later, this idea comes to the screen. Yes. So for the cast, we have Felicity Jones as Jin Urso. She has been in a a bunch of other movies, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2, The Theory of Everything. So she's definitely been in some big movies already. Uh, She's also in Doctor Who as well. Oh, is she? Okay. Yeah, she, she was in the good times of Doctor Who. She played, was it, uh, actually, strange enough, she played, it was an episode of, I think, The Wasp and the Unicorn in one of the episodes of Doctor Who during the David Tennant era. Uh, she played a thief. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> we also have Diego Luna, uh, Riz Ahmed, supposedly playing a character named Bodie Rook. We have Ben Mendelsohn, who is from where, Hamish? Earth. Uh, be a little more specific. My country? Be a little more specific. <laughs> Australia. He's from Melbourne. I know. This is this is like you like one of your like it's like someone discovering your friend and he's like, Hey, your friend's from the same city you are from. And it's like, we know. I'm so blase about it. <laughs> Cause remember he did appear in was it uh Dark Knight Rises and he keeps popping up here and there. Yeah. And you know, and if you're an Australian you're sitting there going, oh, he's using that American voice again. <laughs> it fools us. Yeah. But that's the thing. It's, it's funny to see him pop up there, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, it's that a guy, Australian guy from that your you know home city." I was like, "Yes, we know." <laughs> wow, I figured there'd be a parade for him or something, but all right, never mind. No, he's he's not that type of guy. He's in your country's favorite movie, Australia. Yeah, I saw that movie. That is not my favorite movie, <laughs> but you can watch it if you want if you're an outsider. But that movie, oi. <laughs> Well, anyway, Ben Mendelsohn is an Imperial Admiral in this. We also have Jonathan Aris, supposedly playing Senator Jebel, or Jebel. Uh, Genevieve O'Reilly, reprising her role as Mon Mothma. As, uh, yeah, I was about to say that. Yeah, as Paul and I figured out, she was in a deleted scene in Episode 3. 
Yeah. That was hilarious. It's like she was in episode three uh, and then like gets cut out and then she gets to come back with this when she wasn't even in the third one, really. I mean, you know, not on screen, but in a deleted scene. But that's great. That's, yeah. It's literally like, it feels like, it, it's like, that's I think the only kind of connection you have to kind of episode three is a, a, that actress from deleted scene. But it's weird that they kind of kept her on a kind of list, I assume. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, who's the woman who looks like that woman? Oh, this one. Hey, guess what? <laughs> you know, they call her up and say, we deleted you from the third movie, which pretty much everyone wants to be deleted from that movie. <laughs> but hey, guess what? We're putting you in a good film. Yeah, why not? That's great. And uh, the only thing is the timeline. I'm not sure how that this works out, because how old is Mon Mothma in Return of the Jedi and compared to how old Mon Mothma is in Episode 3? I never ask a woman's age. No, of it's course just, yes. That's very inappropriate. That's the wisest choice, I, I think. So we'll yeah. just let it go and just say Mon Mothma is, is a, an ageless humanoid and uh, a great leader of the Rebellion. She loves that outfit. That samey-looking outfit. <laughs> She only has, like, one outfit and the same jewelry. I feel like she has to, you know, really has to treat herself. <laughs> uh, we also get Donnie Yen, who is a uh, a Hong Kong action superstar who also moved to Boston, Massachusetts. See, there's somebody from our capital. He moved there. He moved there. That's all <laughs> we got. <laughs> Give us Donnie Yen, please. We also have Zhang Wen, who's also a uh, a Chinese action superstar. So pretty great that they're tapping this international talent pool. You know, it's uh, some some great actors. Just like uh, some guys from the Raid were in Force Awakens, just a, an action-packed film. It's uh, it's great to see these guys being used for uh, their great talents. Mm. And speaking also of talented actors, Academy Award winner Forrest Whitaker is in this. You mean Ghost Dog? <laughs> Come on, that, that's that's the edge I've got. This is basically a Ghost Dog sequel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We also have <laughs> we also have Mass Mikkelsen, if I'm pronouncing that, and I apologize to our Danish-speaking listeners. Mass Mikkelsen uh, is in this as well uh, in an undefined role. Although, considering his roles as Hannibal and, and other characters, we assume he's going to be on the dark side of things. And Alan Tudyk from Firefly and he's in Transformers. Yeah, and uh, and also he was the robot in iRobot. So uh, we'll, we'll talk a little more about what Alan Tudyk might be in this movie. Now, I have to mention this. I, I've seen a lot of talk on social media about Bothans making an appearance in this movie. And if we'll finally see them in a film. But I believe Bothans are mentioned as uh, getting the plans for the second Death Star in Return of the Jedi. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Okay, so we're not going to see which they're supposedly like dog-like creatures. We're, we're not going to see Bothans in this movie, most likely. Aww. I know, I'm sorry, everybody. But we have dogs in real life, so there's that. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, okay. Yeah, that works. Because now it just sounds like a bunch of bothans, and the bothans are just dogs. Not people, just dogs. It's like a bunch of little, you know, dash hounds that actually collected the plants. No, they're retrievers. Oh, yes. Completely (laughs) completely different animal. They fetch. (laughs) Yeah. So basically, there's a guy going, okay, guys. Go get the plants. <laughs> they give them some plants to sniff. Yeah. To get a scent. All right. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So let's get right into this trailer. Um, this was released exclusively on Good Morning America on ABC on the morning of Thursday, April 7th, 2016. And of course, now that Disney owns all things Star Wars, of course, all of their subsidiaries get to advertise these special trailer release events. So 
you know, got my DVR going for Good Morning America, something I would never watch otherwise. And yeah, they, they know how to, how to work the marketing. So we begin with the piece of music. I believe, Paul, you said this was called Throne Room? Yeah, that's the um, music that plays at the end of A New Hope when they receive their medals. But obviously this is a tuned way down version. It's just being played on single uh, keys on the piano. Yeah. And uh, we hear a man say, state your name for the record, that we then hear the reply, Jin Urso. And we see Jin is being detained and led down a hallway in what appears to be the rebel base on Yavin 4. And as she walks forward through a door with the camera behind her, we see some industrial work going on. There's smoke and sparks and presumably ships being worked on. And also a gonk droid. Yeah, we see those a couple times. Those are the those square box-looking droids. Yeah, the boxes with legs. I'm not sure what their yeah. purpose is, but they're there. They're power droids. Well, there we go. Giant walking batteries. <laughs> and there's also an R5 unit that you see on the right side of that docking bay. Yeah. I thought it was neat to see, you know, the Yavin 4 base. That's what we assume we're seeing there, the base from the new hope. Mm-hmm. What I think is that um, with that gonk droid being a battery droid, you know, you can tell this is a sci-fi film because there's no person plugging in their iPhone and following along with it. <laughs> going, guys, guys, hold on. Guys, hold on. I just need to, you know... It's like 12 guys powering up their little communication units. <laughs> so we next hear Jin's criminal record being read back to her. Forgery of imperial documents. Possession of stolen property. Aggravated assault. Resisting arrest. And now Jin is led further across the floor of the rebel base. It's bustling with many people moving around. We see X-Wing pilots in orange uniforms. Uh, there's different droids, people being carted around. And there's an X-Wing that's also being taxied through the floor of the base. Jin is next addressed by Mon Mothma at what appears to be the control center of the rebel base. She says, on your own from the age of 15, reckless, aggressive, and undisciplined. So uh, what, do you, what do you make of Jin Urso's character here? Well, uh, I think she's a rebel, like she said, you know. Uh, she's a bad girl. Uh, I don't know how long her affiliation with the Rebel Alliance has been. I know some people took from this trailer that they recruited her just to do this mission. I don't think that's the case. I think she's probably had ties with them for a while, but maybe hasn't had this much contact with higher command mm -hmm. up until this point. They just heard about her and brought her in to see if she could do this mission for them. I heard some rumors, too, that maybe her father is involved with the Empire, or even the creation of the Death Star itself. I don't know where people are getting this from, but that's one rumor I've heard about this movie. Yeah, I heard that too. There's a lot of people speculating wildly about you know, what she's all about. But again, you know, with these trailers, they like taking things out of order. Seeing as if you know, uh, the last Star Wars trailer was did a really good job at you know keeping things very vague in certain ways and keeping it out of order, uh, especially with um, Finn and all that, and all the information that we got from him and all the other characters. So, yeah, I think they're still doing the whole, you know, taking a lot of things out of order, but keeping it very mysterious for us to, you know, learn. So we're going to learn a lot of rumors in the coming months. Oh, yes. And I like that. I don't want the trailer to tell me the whole movie. I think with Batman versus Superman, I saw the best parts in the trailer and could have saved myself the money. Yeah. But uh, as far as she goes, yeah, there's been rumors that her father perhaps worked on the plan. She's, he's being held hostage by the Empire. Um, 
guys she has a grudge against them so we'll have to see yeah, with the trailers, I mean, like, you know, if you spoil too much, it becomes useless. Uh, and because we don't really know these characters and we don't really know the motivations, you know, unlike Batman and Superman, I mean, you know, we've known them for forever in every different variation. And so with this, with characters that you actually have no idea of who they are, but you know the universe, it really does shift things around, especially for uh, her character, because, you know, it seems like she's not the, she's not a weak female type. You know, like the what they keep saying, Mary Sue character. Um, she seems actually like a person who you know, has to survive in this universe. Maybe she's, you know, lied her way into the Empire. We don't know. We do know she's a very tough character, that's for sure. Mm. And uh, on her own from the age of 15. And so we know, so probably at least, you know, uh, eight to ten years at least on her own. And uh, yeah, can certainly take care of herself. So probably uh, a prime candidate to lead this mission. So as Mon Mothma is talking, we see Diego Luna's character. He has his arms folded and he looks up. And uh, if you notice, he's wearing a square insignia with two dots. And that indicates that he's some sort of rebel captain. Uh, I've heard a lot of rumors. People are saying maybe this will be Big's Darklighter. That doesn't seem very likely. Uh, some are wondering if he's going to be Kess Dameron, who would be Poe Dameron's father who fought... Uh, through the Battle of Endor, he he does have that kind of look though. In the, in in that trailer, he has that kind of literally the same sort of look as uh, Poe Dameron. Yeah, they might be going that way, mm. and you know, it'd be a nice way of of tying some of the uh, original trilogy stories with the uh, the new trilogy stories. So we'll, we'll see. And others are saying that he may be a character named Cassian Willix. I've heard that as well. Mm. So we'll we'll see exactly what Diego Luna's character means to the story and future stories. Now, Jin is standing in front of illuminated green radar screens as she's listening to Mon Mothma, and uh, two other men are looking on. There's some other men in the background. People have kind of speculated on who these guys could be. Uh, could they be some people that we've seen in Jedi? It's very hard to tell at this point. Actually, in one of those scenes when Mon Mothma is talking to her, uh, someone paused that and pointed to a man with a white beard in the background to her left and said that might be General Dodonna who uh, gave the rebel pilots the plan of attack before attacking the Death Star. Yeah, could very well be. Now, we, we cut from this scene and we next see Jin wearing a shawl, a uh, black shawl, while walking around beige-colored buildings. And we see that a droid is walking very closely behind her. So we're going to get a lot of scenes on in this area, on this planet, kind of an arid tropical climate it seems to be yeah it's nice to see a, a different climate in star wars i mean we've kind of had our fill of desert planets forest planets and ice planets so it's nice to see a tropical location yeah we next hear Jin reply this is a rebellion isn't it and so we cut to her somewhere in this area and she's fighting a stormtrooper we cut to a different shot to see that she had taken out some more stormtroopers, and they're now lying on the ground, and she also pulls out a blaster. So, she definitely has some fighting abilities, some fighting skills, and can definitely handle herself even against a, a group of stormtroopers. Yeah, and I think the gun's uh, E-11. That's the, the the issue of the blaster, that yeah, is? Yeah, the blaster she's using. I think it's the same one that the stormtroopers kind of use. From the shots, from the, it's all quick cuts, but, you know, from yeah. the gun that she's using, I believe it's that. That or, you know... There seems to be a lot of new weaponry in this film, so, you know, she doesn't seem afraid to kill people. Now, from this scene where she pulls out the blaster, we get a quick cut to a figure on a ledge 
or a balcony that's over this area. This was kind of confusing. I thought this was all her, but it doesn't appear to be. Uh, this person is pressing a detonator with their right hand, and there's an explosion on the ground below, and it's blowing some stormtroopers airborne. And then we see Jin and another person. It's a very, very hard to see, very quick. It, they take cover at the explosion, fall to the ground, and we see the explosion behind them. There are so many stormtroopers flipping in Star Wars. <laughs> like, like the, the tradition continues. Yeah, it's just like it's not just a better aiming. It's a, they're 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 very good at just flipping through the air. Every t- even in the original trailers, it's like there's a guy just being tossed in the air. And with new technology, the new flip technology, they can flip them even higher and faster with more revolutions <laughs> per second. It's amazing what technology can do. Yeah. <laughs> so Jin's statement continues: "I rebel." So we get the full line, this is a rebellion, isn't it? I rebel. And uh, Mon Mothma looks down, and you can tell she she's not quite taken with Jin's rebellious attitude, it seems. Oh, I thought she was kind of amused by that reply. Oh, you think so? Okay. So we cut to black, and we, of course, get the Lucasfilm logo. And we cut to Jin riding in a vehicle while looking out of a dusty window. Not really much can be seen out of the window except sunlight. And the music here begins to get very heavy. Now, Mon Mothma continues with the premise of the movie. She says, we have a mission for you. A major weapons test is imminent, and we need to know what it is and how to destroy it. We next see a Star Destroyer as it slowly moves towards camera at three-quarters profile. And as the light shining on it moves across the frame, we see this beautiful shot of the exterior of the Death Star being revealed behind it as the shadow moves right to left. And as the the camera slowly pans, we see that that shadow is actually from the dish of the Death Star's primary weapon as it's being moved into position. So, what did you guys think of this look? I thought it was a, yeah, it was great. I mean, it, the I think the Star Destroyers have a slightly different look to them. Uh, if you notice, I think it's just like they look a lot more cleaner and a lot white. If you mm. notice. Um, but no, it, it's cool because the thing is, like, we've seen this uh, imagery before of the Death Star, but actually seeing it being put together, you know, it gives you a whole different perspective on it, due to the fact that, you know, the original was basically just this, um, uh, just a model, basically. And yeah. how technology has changed now, they've added more details, there's more little, you know, fixtures and little uh, markings on this uh, massive space station. So, you know, beyond the fact like you know, technology has really been upgraded, uh, it gives you the idea that, you know, it's, it's, it's taken time to build this thing. And, you know, it's, it, it's not just there. Because I think the other films is basically it just looks like it's there. Uh, while the other one, you can see it being put together. Uh, but also it makes you question, like, which order do they build the Death Star? Do they go dish first, or then the rest, or do the rest, then the dish? Because the first one is like a completed battle station. And then the second one, it's like half of it's built, but they've still got the dish. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it, it looks like, you know, it's like they've built the rest of the scene, and like, you know, they're putting the whole piece together. So it's interesting to see it, that they're actually um, uh, showing off the construction side. I mean, I don't know who these construction workers are. I mean, that's that's also what I'm interested in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we might get a look at that. Who knows? Yeah, you know, stormtroopers in, like, yellow outfits, you know, backing things up, going, what, what, okay, back, back, and then stopping <laughs> at random intervals for a smoke. I said, like, have you, have you finished the relay system? Yeah, yeah, we'll do it, do it tomorrow. All right, guys, let's take a break. Let's take a break. I thought this was a really neat image. The first, very first time I saw it, the shadow was kind of throwing me off. I wasn't sure what, what I was looking at until, you know, the image backed out. 
I, I thought the dish was kind of going in fast for how big it is. Like, <laughs> if, if you, you know, do the math, it's like, wow, that's really moving. They better slow that down. Mm. But it's funny because a couple other people have pointed out that at the end of episode three, you see the Death Star starting to be formed. You're looking at it from the bridge of a Star Destroyer and Vader's there and Tarkin's there. And the dish is already being formed within it. Mm. So that's one thing that isn't uh, working well with episode three. You know, someone <laughs> said, well, maybe the maybe the planet-destroying weapon didn't work the first time. They had to take it out and put a new one in. So it's like, it's like changing a light bulb. It's like, this one isn't working. We need to get a new one. <laughs> Let's just swap it in. Maybe they're building it from a kit. You know, they've built it like going, okay, we'll build it this way. And then when they get this Death Star destroyed, they lost the plans. So it's like putting together an Ikea furniture, but you just don't have the instructions. You're like, uh, we'll start at the part I know, and then we'll do the rest. <laughs> a giant oh. hex key yeah. that they're using to tighten everything. Yeah, that that's what the third movie is all about. Them slowly putting something together with no plans. Like, like this. Oh, there's plenty of missing parts and parts left over from yep. that prequel trilogy. Mm. But uh, at the end of episode three, yeah, I was looking at that too, Paul. And the only defense that maybe I could give it, and believe me, I don't defend these movies often, is that maybe, like, the the framework of the dish was there, mm-hmm. and then maybe, like, the actual completed dish kind of gets set into that, like, receptacle that they created for it. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, you could tell they're just not worried too much about the, the details and the consistency. So, yeah, that's that's fine. <laughs> but I've forgotten all about those movies anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, when I texted you uh, a couple of days ago and said, you know, Mon Mothma was in it. And there's a picture of her with Jimmy Smith and talking to Padme. And, uh, yeah, neither of us could actually place where this was. Because, yeah, I, I remember being a deleted scene, but I remember watching it and it was just... It, it's just boring. It's a pretty boring <laughs> scene. It's like... It, it made you remember episode one. Yes. So you're like, yeah, this is not great. This is, I can understand why you got rid of this. <laughs> and Mon Mothma's a great character, you know. She's, you know, the, the one that really takes charge from this old republic and trying to create this rebellion. She's the one that really got this all going, as far as, you know, my understanding is of, of the story. And uh, it's good that she gets her due, other than just this meeting with Bail Organa and Padme going, you know, like, maybe we should do something. Now, after this, the man that's standing to the side of Mon Mothma, this is Alistair Petrie's character, he asks Jin, is that clear? And Jin looks at him and coldly replies, yes, sir. Now, Alistair Petrie's character here, if you'll notice, he's wearing a five-dot rebel insignia, almost like the uh, the same arrangement that five dots would be on a, on a die. Uh, this indicates he's most likely a general. So this is, you know, another higher-ranking official in the rebellion, that's calling upon Jin to uh, embark on this mission. So, what do you guys think? Is she being forced to go on this mission? It seems as though, you know, she's a criminal, and it doesn't seem like she's very enthusiastic. Uh, could be that they have something on her, and that, you know, maybe that, you know, she's just playing along. Maybe she just has that kind of personality, which doesn't like to be told what to do. I mean, you know, we all don't like being told what to do. But I think trying to figure out why this mission has to actually occur it seems like maybe it's begrudgingly she's doing it begrudgingly because yeah maybe she knows something more about this whole situation maybe she actually is part of the whole empire maybe she's being um 
force into this because they captured her. We don't know. Mm. Yeah, I don't have many thoughts one way or the other. Um, I haven't speculated too much on that. I just kind of feel she's a rebel and that's it. She's part of the Alliance and she doesn't like the Empire and she wants to hurt them. So that's as far as I've thought it through so far. Although it seems like they're kind of playing both sides here. You know, they they really want to keep her position vague and ambiguous as we continue at least through the, the trailers for this movie. Mm-hmm. So we next cut to black and we see the words, This December. And an alarm sound begins. <laughs> this is a, a very annoying alarm sound. Mm. I look back to the original trilogy and we heard that alarm at least three times. It was sounded throughout the first Death Star when they were under attack by the X-Wings and Y-Wings. It was sounded in the second Death Star at the very beginning of Return of the Jedi when um, Darth Vader's ship is landing. And then it sounds at the end of Return of the Jedi when the Death Star's almost going to blow up and everyone's running to ships to escape. So it's always the Death Star sound. It's uh, an alarm that's unique to the Death Star through the original trilogy. That's interesting. And a credit to Ben Burt, the uh, sound designer for these movies. Uh, it's it's a different alarm sound. It's almost organic. There's something different about it. It's it's not something you usually hear when you hear like a just a general in a submarine movie or something. You know that or Star Trek. You know th- those alarms are different. This this has an organic tone to it or something it makes it really stand out so as we hear this at the base we see this squadron of x-wing pilots running Uh, behind them is Jin and diego luna's character and in the background we see other rebels in brown vests and jackets with hats and goggles along with one of those power droids gonk droid and your gonk droid whatever you (laughs) want to call it it's a gonk droid (laughs) that's literally all that's the only sound it makes is a gonk. <laughs> and it looks like there's a person in there. It looks like, you know, they could have easily just dropped one in with CGI, but uh, no, it looks like uh, they're definitely continuing uh, what J.J. Abrams set out to do and use practical effects. Mm. It, look, it looks a lot better with practical effects. And plus, that's the thing. Like, with this, it looks very practical. Yes, exactly. And of course, there's an X-Wing in the back. This time, I think they had the budget for more than one, which is good. Or they just repainted another one. <laughs> <laughs> They didn't go that practical. So from here we cut to uh, a look at an Imperial officer standing alone in front of a large radar screen. And uh, that radar screen is consistent with the Death Star Bridge. And uh, of course this is Ben Mendelsohn's character. The uh, the great Melburnian. What, what, do you, what do you call a resident of Melbourne? Melburnian? <laughs> that's it. That's it. It's like, I, there's no other name for it. We haven't, we haven't got a secret name like, you know, the Claw or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> every Australian, that, every Australian that comes from Melbourne is the Claw. Wow, that's sounds like a cool club. It would be, but unfortunately, it's a Melbourneian. <laughs> oh, all right, but uh, he's looking very serious, and he has gloved hands folded in front of him. He's wearing a a white or light gray uniform with a matching cape, of course. And he's also this is very unique for a character like this. He's holding what looks to be a large rifle like blaster. I at first thought this was a cane or a walking stick of some sort, but no, this is very clearly a, a handle and a trigger. Hmm. Maybe he just enjoys holding guns. Or maybe this is a scene where, you know, the entire station is complete and they're going to threaten someone, like they always do. They always threaten mm. someone there. But also, yeah, he must spend a lot of time keeping that entire outfit very clean. I mean, white. 
I mean, you know, Darth Vader was pretty smart having black, and so was the Emperor. But white? That's that's a lot of issues. I mean, I know later on in the trailer, he's walking through water, but it's muddy water, and his cape's getting all, you know, all mudded up. It's like, mm. there better be a laundry crew on this battle station. Oh, there's gotta be. Yeah. There's been speculation on who his character is. Um, I know you and I, Scott, looked up the uh, what the bars meant. He had six blue and six red, mm-hmm. which means he's an admiral. That's different from what Tarkin had in A New Hope. Um, he had, I think, six red, three blue, and three yellow, or six blue, three yellow, three red. I can't remember offhand. And that was uh, like someone in charge of a sector or perhaps you know, a Grand Moff or a Grand Admiral. So some people have wondered if he's playing Tarkin before receiving a promotion over the Death Star. Others have just said, you know, this is just another Admiral. But uh, I like the look of his character. And like you said, you know, usually we don't see people in command with a firearm, perhaps maybe just a small pistol on their hip. But he's definitely got a big silver rifle. Yeah. One of the nicest images for me from this trailer, I really like the look of it, and and the screen behind him, an image we're used to seeing of uh, the Death Star in blue. I believe that's the Death Star. Mm-hmm. So I really like this theme. You know, we talked about Episode Seven really like invoking that nostalgia, giving us elements of the original trilogy. This thing just throws us right into it. I mean, this is... All nostalgia. It's uh, it and it's great. It's such a great look, and the look is very consistent. They're really taking the care to make sure that uh, everything really matches up, at least visually. And you know, as Hamish mentions, well, we'll talk about it later on. But you know, we'll see this character walk on the ground through water, through mud. Uh, this is a uh, a different type of admiral for sure. Very intriguing character. I look forward to seeing uh, what he is and what he becomes. So, from here, we next get a scene on a dusty city street. Presumably, this is where we saw Jin and the droid earlier in the trailer. We see uh, stormtroopers are walking with weapons, while other troopers are riding in tanks. In the foreground is a figure in dark clothes with a, a black head covering, along with some others, and they all seem to be handcuffed. Yeah, it's interesting to look at that scene, because um, from the short amount of time, I mean, I know it's just teasing you stuff. But um, the troopers in the back kind of look like clone troopers, but like with upgraded, you know, armor and a suit, like um, like a Tie Fighter pilots helmets and things like that. That's what it looks like mm-hmm. in the background. They look like uh, the type of like I guess leftovers from the Clone Wars, maybe. Yeah, we'll see as we go through this. There are very different troopers. Mm. Uh, that's kind of been a criticism, like, well, you know, where were these troopers for the other movies? But of course. In reality, they weren't invented yet. Mm. But it's interesting to see these variations. You know, these tank troopers, or what you know, whatever we'll end up calling them, have a very specific look, and that's consistent with the other movies. You know, the the uh, speeder bike troopers. I think they're scout troopers. Mm. You know, from Jedi, they have a very distinct look. The sand troopers are a little different, and the snow troopers. So this is consistent in that respect. So from here we cut to Academy Award winner Forrest Whitaker's character, and he's limping forward with a walking stick. He seems to be inside of some sort of stone or earth structure, and he is wearing a suit featuring some armor or maybe some rudimentary technology. Yeah, it's interesting to look at that, because like, apparently from what I've heard, he was a, he's supposed to be a bounty hunter from rumors. 
Mm-hmm. And that the suit he's wearing is like some sort of power armor, you know, helping, I guess, helping him walk and move around. Yeah. So, but it is interesting to see Academy Award winner Frost Whitaker. Sorry, I'm just saying, saying that because you've said it a bunch of times. <laughs> every every time you announce him, it's like, instead, it's like someone being knighted and being called a sir. You have to now say Academy Award winner Leonardo DiCaprio. It's a mouthful. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But yeah, from the scene, it looks like he's he's got some sort of power armor, you know, uh, which mm-hmm. I'm assuming, you know, keeps him functional. Yeah, people have speculated whether this is like a breathing apparatus or, you know, just some sort of armor technology. We'll have to see. Uh, It had also been rumored before the trailer uh, that he was going to play a character that's missing a leg. Uh, We don't see him, you know, below the chest in this trailer. Uh, but we can assume by the way he's walking with that staff that, you know, that that may very well be true, that he is missing a leg. Yeah, I also heard both of those speculations as far as the bounty hunter and missing a limb, and just that perhaps he is someone that the Alliance has hired to help with this scheme to steal the plans. And, and he's a great actor, too. I, I really look forward to, to seeing uh, what role he plays in this. So we next cut to another location on this same sandy planet, presumably, where we see black armored stormtroopers, and they're stationed there, and we can tell that they're troopers, you know, from the eye shape around the helmet, but the rest is a little different around the mouth and everything. And in the background, we see a fire near evaporator. Now, evaporators obviously usually indicate in Star Wars an arid climate. Uh, The other times we've seen them have been on Tatooine and Jakku, but uh, this appears to be someplace entirely different. Yeah, I think uh, it's some sort of death squad. I think they're supposed to be death troopers. or de- Unlike those, the um, black shadow troopers that we've mm. seen before, people assume that these were like uh, shadow troopers, but uh, some rumors are calling them death troopers, which is kind of... That's what I've heard too, yeah. Yeah, it kind of, it kind of sounds like a pretty vulgar name. You know, it's like we couldn't think of anything. Death trooper. It's like, we're just wearing black armor. No, you, you guys are death troopers. We all kill people. Why are we death troopers? Yeah, yeah. really. So there could be like some elite squad, like um, like the commandos, maybe. Like, you know, um, Republic commandos. That's the rumor I heard as well, is that they were an elite squad of stormtroopers. Mm, the guys who actually can aim straight. <laughs> Evidently. <laughs> so we, as we see this, we next hear the words from Forrest Whitaker's character, What will you do when they catch you? So we presume that he is talking to Jin. We don't know if he's going to be some sort of mentor or help her with training or expertise. Uh, we don't know who he's actually giving this guidance to, but we assume it's to Jin. We also see a scene, again, presumably on this planet, where three rebel pilots in orange uniforms are handcuffed and being led by stormtroopers through what looks like an outdoor marketplace. We see that there's other people or creatures going about their business, and there's some in hooded robes and helmets. And and the trooper at the front, if you look, he's wearing a black shield over his right shoulder, and the trooper in the back has an orange shield over his right shoulder and a backpack, much like the sand troopers that we saw in episode four. Yeah, and these pilots look like they're in pretty rough shape. The one guy looked a little bloody, so looks like they've been in a battle. Uh, maybe got punched a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, uh, they, they were some sort of struggle. So we cut to a scene where Jin, Diego Luna's character, and a gray droid, which looks to be that droid that was behind Jin earlier in the trailer, they're running down a large corridor in what looks to be an Empire base. 
and we see that Jin is holding some sort of device in her right hand. This is where they're um, inside. Like basically, it's like a gray-looking, uh, industrial-looking area kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, looks like a machine shop or like a car factory floor, which I'm assuming is the inside of maybe the Death Star, like one another area. Because there are so many areas in Death Star, it it you, that they didn't cover them all. But I think it's the same scene when they're running, and there's also uh, the droid with them, like the tall, lanky, skinny droid. Yeah. Which is supposed to be by Alan... Was it Tokens? Tudic. Sorry, I, I, in my head, I can see the word, but I'm saying it wrong. Um, yeah, his character is supposed to be, uh, I think, an enforcer droid that they reprogram, you know, a la you know, Terminator. Okay. Yeah, from what I've read, uh, they get an enforcer droid, uh, and they reprogram him for their own, own wheelings and dealings, we'll say. Uh, so I guess he takes up the kind of place of, like, a C-3PO type. I was going to say that this is the first time we've seen... A droid that fights. <laughs> but then you, but then you um, forget all of episode yeah. one, yeah. And, and then I realized episodes <laughs> one, two, and three, we saw last though. <laughs> and come on, that is that but, is how far I've gone wiping those from my mind. But also, yeah, it's like all a bad dream. He had uh, R2D too. He was he's pretty feisty. He, he attacks people. Again, the prequels and shooting oil and then. <laughs> mm. Those movies. I, I like the idea of this. Of it almost is like Jin has a, a bodyguard in him or something, perhaps. But uh, someone pointed out that the back plate on him is like identical to what stormtroopers have on their back. Yes. Yeah. It's like a um, a raised circle and two lines inside of a rectangle. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. So there's that connection that he was created by the Empire, but now he's. Uh, working for the Rebels. Very interesting. And Alan Tudyk is great. You know, he's, uh, I believe he's Sonny the Robot in iRobot, that Will Smith movie. And so he has experience with motion capture. He has experience with voiceover. And, you know, he's a, a very uh, funny and charismatic actor. So I think this is just a, a great pick for a droid in this movie. Maybe he'll provide a little comic relief and levity, but not to the point of uh, C-3PO, at least we're hoping not. Talk about wiping movies from your memory. iRobot wasn't that great. No. No, it, it was okay. It's just, you know, it's just, it's not great. Wasn't, I think, I swear, for some reason, Shia LaBeouf was in that, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, he was. I wasn't going to mention that, but he was in there as well. God. Yeah, and it greatly deviated from the work of Asimov. And, uh, yeah, it's a, that's a whole other story. <laughs> mm. One thing I would like to address, one of you had mentioned earlier about actually going on to the Death Star mm. to get the plans. And in my mind right now, I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't think they actually have to go on to the Death Star to get the plans. I'm picturing them being held at some kind of secret base, perhaps on this tropical planet we see. And that's why, as we'll see later on, there's lots of defenses there. Mm -hmm. Lots of, you know, the Death Troopers, uh, at etc. So, in my mind right now, from what I've seen, I, I think that's what's going to happen, that they have to infiltrate a base and get these plans rather than get on the Death Star, because then people might feel like they're kind of rehashing a New Hope stuff, you know, escaping from the Death Star and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And how many times can people go in and out of that place, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, this scene quickly cuts to another scene in the very same base, 
Uh, we see dozens of troopers. They're running down a similar hallway. We see that some troopers have the standard white uniforms. There's others with more beige-colored armor. Yeah. Uh, they, no, I was about to mention, because I think uh, from other rumors, they said these were scarab troopers. I had heard that yeah. too, yeah. If you pause, they almost look like the scout troopers from Return of the Jedi, but they are uh, beige-colored, and so it's interesting to see exactly what uh, role they'll play, but seeing as they're on a kind of a sandy tropical planet, that armor might be more suited to camouflage them in that terrain. Mm. So from here, we next hear the words, What will you do if they break you? And this is, again, Farce Whitaker's character continuing to talk to who we're presuming is Jin. And we presumably think that he just watched Rocky. <laughs> so we next get another scene back at this planet where a stormtrooper is being approached by Donnie Yen's character. He is a black-caped swordsman of sorts. Uh, we see three other stormtroopers look on, and in the background, there is a wreckage of an X-Wing. So when Paul was mentioning about those bloodied X-Wing pilots being detained, maybe they're from that ship, we're not sure. But uh, this character from, ca it's hard to see here, but from cast photos that have been released, this character appears to be blind. He has very, very light colored eyes. And his character is rumored to be a bounty hunter who is paid to assist these rebels in their mission. Well, you have to speculate, being blind, is he force-sensitive? Um, does that allow him to fight? Because we see him putting a beating on some stormtroopers uh, pretty handedly. Yeah, and I, I wasn't really sure what was happening here. I thought maybe he's training the rebels and they're in disguise. But behind him, there's some that are, like, dead. So... I don't, I'm not sure exactly what's going on here. Also, there's, I think, a downed uh, X-Wing in the background, if I believe. It's, 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 it, yeah, it's like a burnt uh, X-Wing. So, you know, maybe there's a crash and maybe he's there to, you know, deal with these people. Like, maybe they crashed. He's trying to protect some people who escaped from it. You know. Yeah. But strange enough, he seems to be, like, the only, like, actual real samurai type. Going back to, like, the original source material of what um, Star Wars was supposed to be based on, like, the Jedi's were supposed to be based on, was it samurai culture? Yeah. Uh, and samurai warriors. He's literally the actual samurai. He, he's actually in the, a proper samurai um, <laughs> who is in this film, which is based off that culture. And that's good. I mean, it's interesting to see that kind of character. Plus, it's good that he's wielding a lightsaber or something like that. Right, right. It, it's really making it look more organic that, you know, people are able to actually stand up for themselves. Along with that X-Wing in the background, there's also a parachute. Mm. So uh, perhaps the pilot had to ditch and landed near his craft. And like you said, uh, he's he's protecting them or something. And, and just going back to what Hamish was saying, you know, it's it's a nice nod to those Japanese films that Lucas was so influenced by. And uh, when I think of uh, a blind swordsman, you know, there's the the movies and the story of, of uh, Zatoichi, the, the mm. blind swordsman. If this character is, you know, a, a blind fighter, I mean, it's like a direct reference to this uh, great character of, of Japanese film. So we cut to a scene where he also swipes with his staff. It doesn't seem to be a sword. He wields it like a sword, but it, it seems to be some sort of staff. And he, he is fighting this trooper. The trooper's defending the attack. Behind them, there's more troopers lying on the ground. So, you know, despite his uh, impairment, uh, he definitely has uh, some incredible fighting ability. And as I mentioned before, this is Donnie Yen, who is uh, an accomplished action star. So it'll be great to see his uh, involvement in this. 
So we next see a group of at least three of those black armored troopers we saw earlier. They're crouched down, and they're firing some real heavy-duty blasters here. And in the background, we see a few palm trees and other desert or tropical flora. This is kind of really the first time we've seen these type of plants in the Star Wars universe. Like I said before, nice to see a new environment. Yeah, just when you think maybe they've exhausted uh, every possible biome, they, uh, they give us a new one. I forgot to mention swamp. We've also seen that. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So this quick cuts to a large four-winged shuttlecraft exploding as it's parked in the middle of this area that's filmed with palm trees. And it's kind of hard to see. I don't know if it's a small structure or a piece of a ship nearby. Yeah, it looks like it's probably a structure. But this is uh, really the, our first look at a four-winged shuttlecraft. You know, we're, we're used from the original trilogy of seeing the, the three-winged one. But uh, whatever it is, it doesn't last long, evidently. So this quick cuts to a rebel. He's wearing a brown uniform and a helmet. And he's ducking for cover from this or another explosion in that area. And uh, we next get a scene of Ben Mendelsohn's character in the aftermath of this battle or during this battle, he's he's walking past the bodies of stormtroopers across a, a shallow pool of water, and he's walking towards a smoldering ship and a large structure on the right, which looks to be the foot of an AT-AT. Again, this is a nightmare for his dry cleaner. <laughs> just, just walking across muddy water with a massive cape. He couldn't pick it up. I mean, God. Because <laughs> I can just imagine... Well, I can imagine him going back to his space station wherever and just walking around the place, and there's this you know, wet drag mark all across the floor. You know, it's still wet and moist and then Stormtroopers walking behind him just slipping over. <laughs> going, who's got a squeegee? Who's just dragging a squeegee through here? My, th- my thought is interesting that he's actually out there on the battlefield, you know. He actually seems to be, you know, physically in a location rather than other officers who just basically stand around on a bridge of a Star Destroyer just giving orders. Yeah, this is kind of our first look at a character like this. Usually the, the higher-ranking officials, they're, they're prim and proper Englishmen, they're wearing very clean and pressed uniforms, and the only time we ever see them is in these very clean, polished, empire-based environments. And this is a, a very different character, we can tell already, where he's out there walking in the middle of the, an active battlefield. So from here we cut to a glimpse of a black-cloaked figure entering a chamber in some sort of imperial base or ship. This person is walking, then kneeling towards the center of the room where a series of large short pedestals lead like steps towards a white, uh, kind of steaming, illuminated column. On either side of it, there's red uniformed imperial or royal guards that are stationed there. So what do you guys make of this scene? Mysterious. Mm. (laughs) Uh... I I think it's 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 we can assume one thing. I mean, it could be like um, some sort of freezing chamber, like a like the carbonite chamber, but like more sophisticated. It doesn't look so um, uh, low grade as the one on the uh, Cloud City. But at the same time, you have the, the, the those guards, the red guards, who are usually found with the Emperor. Yeah. So not sure. It could be. You could always assume it's the Emperor if you wanted to. You know, like after going through some sort of, I don't know, uh, rejuvenation process. I don't know. <laughs> um, seeing as he got you know, quite burnt up from the third movie by electrocuting himself. But I don't know. It, it, it seems like it's like a, just a chamber. So beyond a hooded cloak, we have no idea who it is. I mean, obviously, it's not Darth Vader. He doesn't normally wear cloaks, does he? You know, unless, unless, unless this is some sort of situation where it's like, you know, he's decided to wear a cloak for this one day. Sure. Yeah. 
but don't know. It, it's it's a good piece of mystery. Some people look at this character and think this is Vader, but he never wore a hood, and it definitely looks like this character is wearing a hood. They are kneeling before whatever this is in the center of the room. So it's got to be someone else. The Red Imperial Guards indicate to me that the Emperor is present. What that thing is in the middle, I'm not sure. Some people have speculated that it, it is a back-to-tank, mm-hmm. like we saw Luke Hilden. Others have said something about, you know, some kind of cryogenic chamber. But uh, whatever it is, the Imperial Guards indicate that the Emperor must be present here. You would think. You would think, because that's exactly uh, the situation that we saw them last in Return of the Jedi. Mm. Uh, I've also heard that uh, this person in the... This cloaked figure, you know, the the shoulders don't line up with the Vader armor. And like you said, the clo- the hood of the cloak doesn't doesn't really indicate the Vader character. This could be uh, Mass Mickelson's character. Uh, we're not really sure. Uh, there could be something going on with Palpatine. Uh, but I've also heard rumors of Snoke making an appearance in this film. Eh, maybe. It'd be weird. I'll give you that. But mm. this, you know, could be their way of tying this new figure to this uh, old story. It'd be uh, kind of interesting if they try to attempt that. But again, it's still early days. We'll still figure it out. So a lot of mystery in this scene. Very, very interesting. Uh, someone of very high ranking in the, the Empire and the Sith most likely involved in this scene. So from here, we cut to a close-up of Forrest Whitaker's character's face as he continues, If you continue to fight. Now, this quickly cuts to Wang Jian's character, who is running towards camera with a weapon, and we see sparks from an explosion are seen behind him. Uh, he's a character that has dreadlocks. He's wearing a brown uniform, as we've seen other rebels in this movie. Uh, but he has a red chest plate of sorts. It seems to go over one of his shoulders and connects with a backpack. I've heard that uh, Wang Jian's character uh, is possibly a bounty hunter. That just like Donnie Yen's character was hired for his services mm. uh, to assist the rebels. So this could uh, very well be why you know he has a different hairstyle than some of the other rebels. Mm. Uh, why he's wearing a different chest plate than some of the other rebels. So it'd be interesting to see here. But we do see him fighting uh, Imperial forces. So we do know what side he's on at least. Mm. Other people said like he's supposed to like the weapons expert of the team. Because there always mm-hmm. has to, there always has to be one guy as a weapons expert or just you know, sure. heavy, heavy dude, um, but also like the the gun he's carrying is actually some sort of flamethrower. Oh, okay, so that would explain know, the backpack. Yeah, so he's some some sort of like uh, weapons expert flame dude. Yeah, that's that's a technical way of saying it. I think that's uh, his character's name, right? Flame dude. Flame dude. Yeah, I think in, in space <laughs> anyone could be a flame dude, and that's his dream. Uh, but yeah, it, it it sounds like from bits and pieces like yeah he's the uh, weapons guy because again like it, even though it's still one of those kind of heist movies one of those team heist movies everyone always falls into a kind of category of what your specialty is yeah exactly paul any thoughts on this guy no i've heard similar things that he was the uh weapon expert yeah very very cool team they're assembling here so this cuts to another scene near this palm forest where rebels are running on foot toward a group of at least four ATATs. And uh, as the ATATs fire, we see one person thrown in the air, and we also can see a large antenna-like structure with a satellite dish at the top. This is some sort of base, we're presuming. Mm, this might be a structure that um, Ben Mendelsohn's character was walking towards. Yeah. 
But yeah, like if you look at those AT-80s, they're completely well, they're, they're slightly modified from the ones that we have actually seen before in um, Empire Strikes Back. They actually have that kind of uh, a different design to them, and this design actually seems very familiar to the one from I think season two of uh, Star Wars Rebels. If anyone oh, okay. actually still watches that show, <laughs> <laughs> they design it because like, if you notice, there's like some. Uh, it kind of like I, from the video, you can see uh, kind of like a yellow paneling on the side, mm-hmm. and they have a kind of uh, the window and the guns in the front uh, are not lower but higher on the sides of the. I guess you call it the head of the machine, and also they got the kind of red Cylon thing from Battlestar Galactica kind of going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, these ones, from what I remember from the TV show, they're a lot bigger than those ones we've seen before. Yeah, it's so great. You know, Force Awakens kind of gave us a look at TIE fighters flying in an atmosphere. We had never seen that before. Familiar ships, familiar atmosphere, but we've just never seen the two together. And here's something else. You know, we see kind of like an arid landscape. We've seen AT-ATs before, but we've never seen that combination of the two. And it's just uh, great how they're giving us uh, so many familiar elements, but in a, a new, exciting combination. This was the other uh, image from this trailer that I really enjoyed. I liked the view of being down with the rebels. Just gives you a good idea of the scale, the size of these things. I liked the look of the feet of the AT-AT as it fell down in the water and then lifted up. Just watching the water's movement mm. was cool. And, you know, the, the blast coming toward the camera. Um, and as you see Jin running here... You see, at first I thought she had two blasters, one in each hand, but then as I watched it again and again, I noticed that it's one blaster and she's carrying what we saw her carrying before, running down that corridor or whatever it is. So I think at that point she has the plans for the Death Star and they're trying to escape this planet. Okay, so that that corridor that we talked about earlier, that's kind of like gray and industrial looking, they're wearing the same clothes. She's holding the same thing in her hand. So maybe this isn't quite the Death Star. Maybe this is on this planet. And uh, so, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. It's also been pointed out that Diego Luna's character is wearing kind of uh, Imperial clothing. So it kind of suggests that maybe this there's an undercover element to this mission as well. We next hear Academy Award winner Forrest Whitaker's character's line continue. <laughs> what will you become? So, this is an interesting end to this trailer. As we hear this line, what will you become? We see Jin in a black Empire uniform standing in a round hallway. And as she turns to camera, lights along the corridor light up. So, what do you guys make of this? Um, I think it's a misdirect. Because I think the outfit that she's wearing is basically more undercover stuff. Yeah. Um, even though she seems to be standing in a, you know... P. Diddy music video <laughs> from the nineties. Um, she, I, I, I think it's a misdirect because I think what you'll become it might just be the fact that she's actually betraying somebody. Uh, you know, it could be the fact that you know she has to make a choice which involves her being hunted down. You know, like if she does get well, whoever's in charge. Like if you, if this whole thing was like she was related to somebody in the Empire, and the father's actually after her. And then she betrays her father to give the plans out. Then, you know, he, they know exactly who they're looking for. And she'd become, you know, this, well, obviously a rebel. I didn't want to say rebel, but she'd become <laughs> this intergalactic criminal. Yeah, yeah. Against a, an all-powerful empire. You know, so it, you kind of get this idea that 
you know, it, I, for that kind of comment, I think it's a misdirect saying what you'll become and the whole imagery of her in the, um, was it the Imperial gear? It, it, I, yeah, I just think, I think it's a misdirect just because visually we're seeing one thing, but we're hearing another thing. Yeah, I agree. I don't think she becomes an Imperial at the end. I think she's, you know, in a disguise at this point for some reason, but I was also wrong when we discussed the force awakens and for the first three reviews of trailers, I was like, Finn is in the disguise as a stormtrooper to infiltrate the First Order, you know. <laughs> and as we went on, we found out that he was actually a stormtrooper that defected. Yeah. So. Mm. And we thought he was the Jedi, so, you know, the, the Force-sensitive one wielding the lightsaber. Well, that's the thing. Right. On, on all the promotional stuff, they did a really good job of just kind of feeding our expectations. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, he is. He's this guy. Look, he's in the poster doing everything. And uh, Jin is wearing in this scene what looks like a TIE fighter pilot uniform without the helmet. A little different, but very, you know, similar to that aesthetic. Uh, there's a pack on the back, connects to devices on the front from around the waist and over the shoulder. And very clearly, we can see that Empire logo. It's almost black on black, right on her shoulder. And uh, yeah, if there is a story here or a subplot about, you know, her father... Uh, you know, having some involvement in the creation of the Death Star. It's like, yet again, another Star Wars movie with daddy issues. It's just the overall theme of this whole saga being be a good father to your children. Yeah. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> there's no way of escaping the whole father issues and things like that. Because also there's another rumor saying that she's the daughter of uh, Boba Fett for some reason. Really? Yeah. These Again, these rumors are getting wild and crazy. Well, the big one, like right after the trailer reveal, like mm. on Twitter, uh, people were wondering, is this Ray's mother? Is this how they're going to maybe tie these anthology movies to the new sequels? And that would be weird, you know, that they're not necessarily standalones, that there is some connecting thread. Uh, I just, I don't know. What what would you guys feel about the reveal that Jin Erso is really Ray's mother? It would make no sense. <laughs> because the thing is like she has to like she does she'd have to have a baby immediately well actually the age of ray it doesn't make yeah it's too confusing because it's like yeah. one she's not doesn't seem force sensitive i don't know what the story is going to be about but well i do know what's going to be about but i don't know what she's character is supposed to be uh and i don't think it's force sensitive or whatever she's a jedi so it seems weird that you know at the end of the movie when they say this lightsaber's been calling to you, you know, the kind of illusions that maybe Ray's related to Luke Skywalker. It makes no sense. You know, the, the yeah. connectivity of the whole piece makes no sense. The only thing connecting these movies is a Death Star. We discussed this the other day, Scott. You know, I think it's ridiculous to try to make all these family connections. I mean, it's a big galaxy. It's a big universe. Not everyone has to be related. Exactly. I wouldn't mind if Diego Luna plays Kess Dameron. That really wouldn't bother me because the uh, Shattered Empire comics are, you know, referring to him as a, you know, a great pilot that fought in this battle. And so, you know, that, that, but more than that, and it'd be a little more prequel-ish to me, you know, and I, mm. uh, we've already been there. Oh, Anakin created C-3PO. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> let us never go there again. So from here, we cut to black and we get the title Rogue One, colon, a Star Wars story, with the music transitioning to a very slow, heavy version of the Imperial March. And, and when we see that last look at Jin, 
They're very faintly in the mix is uh, the breathing of Darth Vader. So really teasing this character that we've heard may make an appearance in here. We also get the words December in Real D and IMAX 3D. So uh, what do you guys think about Vader's involvement? Do you think we're going to see him in any form? I'm 50-50 about it, where it's like, it'd be cool to see him, but at the same time, again, he if, if he was in the film, uh, and like I said before, it, it'd be interesting to see him in that same way as, um, you know, the T-Rex in Jurassic Park. You know, whenever he yeah. turns up, it's like, you cannot stop this. This is not going to happen. And plus, because you haven't got um, a Jedi, like you haven't got, you know, like in the other every other movie, there's always been a Jedi turning up and kind of going, don't worry, I can fight this guy, and being all Jedi-ish, with, you know, with the backflips and everything. You know, and plus, if you're trying to continue this from the third movie to this movie, if you're keeping that kind of continuity, it's like, does Darth Vader forget how to do his backflips and stuff like that? And so you get this kind of mix where, from A New Hope, and you had... Darth Vader basically poking at Alec Guinness with a stick. Um, you know, not doing backflips like he did if you were continuing number three, but, you know, just kind of poking him and just kind of going back and forth, you know, very slow and not so crazy. You'd have to have him in this film, but he'd be like a menacing presence. And if he did turn up, he wouldn't have to actually... Well, because these guys aren't exactly uh, Jedis and, you know, you can't compete, he wouldn't need to be doing the whole backflips and swinging and, you know speed fighting or whatever you want to call it they did in the first one where they're jumping and fighting and jumping and doing Dragon Ball Z stuff he'd, he'd yeah. basically be able to walk into a room choke a guy and just be a menacing presence like he did in um, uh, A New Hope yeah obviously the timeline would work for him to be involved in this but he is a Sith he is very powerful with the force so if he steps in you know to try to stop these plans from being stolen you think he'd be successful I forget if I mentioned this to you before or not, Scott, but I was thinking that this is going to be the first Star Wars movie without a lightsaber duel. Yeah. And so it is going to be very different. John Williams is not doing the music for this. We question if there's going to be a scroll at the beginning uh, setting up the story or if it's going to start completely different from what we're used to. Lots of questions of how... Uh, Lucasfilm is going to handle these anthology films and if they're going to give us what we're used to as far as the beginning of the movies go and the look of everything or if they're going to completely be set apart. I think uh, hopefully they'll give us what we're used to which will be a whole lot of mismatched advertising with products and a whole bunch of toys. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, I'm just waiting for them to try and shoehorn Rogue One into, like, some Doritos or something like that. Oh, please. Yeah. Look, this Dorito looks like an X-Wing if you squint and turn it. Isn't it extreme? <laughs> <laughs> what will you do when they cheese you? <laughs> I'm only bringing this up because I saw it on the, um, the Batman vs. Superman promotional stuff. They did the thing with the Doritos where Superman's on one of them and Batman's on the other. It's like, are they fighting over which is their favorite snack? And they're still using the tagline, who will win? It's like, who will win what? Who gets to dip their chips? Actually, But I, my I, mother's maiden name was Dorito, too. What? <laughs> I'm assuming we've, seen, we've all seen that movie. Nope. Oh, my God. It's, I, uh, I, I post a photo on Twitter of my friend asleep during the final battle. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, that's very funny. And it wasn't just like his eyes were closed. He was snoring. I really identified with Wonder Woman myself. Yeah, I'm sure you identified her. <laughs> because you like making cameos in people's lives. It, it, it was, it's, it's no Star Wars, we'll say that. Yes, yes, definitely. 
So that's uh, that's what we have so far. You know, that's that's the trailer. We'll we'll see what they release now uh, as we approach this December. But uh, really looking forward to seeing Rogue One and its place. And and you know, I was thinking just how in A New Hope, every time we heard uh, Obi Wan and I think Leia mentioned the Clone Wars, we kind of cringe because now forever we'll think of that terrible episode too. Uh, it's kind of cool that now when we see that opening crawl. Those first two paragraphs will always be referring to Felicity Jones playing Jin Erso and Diego Luna and Ben Mendelsohn. And this whole story will we'll forever think of this movie when we see that opening crawl. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, it's gotten me more excited about it. I, I've been looking forward to really seeing something. I was waiting for either The Jungle Book to come out or Captain America thinking they'd have a trailer release with one of those. Yeah. But uh, it kind of caught me by surprise. You texted me at like 2 or 2.30 one morning <laughs> and said, hey, the trailer's out. And then we found out it was going to be on Good Morning America. Yeah. I DVR'd it, woke up and watched it right away and uh, watched it 20 times. <laughs> Here's the funny thing we, we we don't have we don't have Good Morning America here, so we just waited until it popped up on the internet. Uh, that was it. There's there no getting up early taping things. I just waited for like you know my Twitter feed to go new Star Wars trailer. I was like, oh really? But it definitely has me more excited for it. I wasn't thinking I was going to do an opening night show like I did for Force Awakens, but after seeing this, I was like, oh maybe. Yeah, you know, after that cliffhanger with. Luke Skywalker and Rey, we just kept thinking, you know, episode eight, episode eight, kind of forgetting that Rogue One was still, you know, in the process and uh, coming down the line next, you know, uh, just uh, this trailer made me go, oh, wait a minute. There's there's some more to think about and consider before we even talk about episode eight. Yeah, yeah. And that's the same thing. But uh, the thing about it is that it, it's like, um, you know, when they put movies back and they go like, oh, I got to wait another year for this movie I really like, this series. It's kind of that the whole thing where it's like, you don't actually mind. Yeah. You know, it's not like other movies where it's like, oh, I wonder what the story is. It's like, oh, I don't mind. This is actually a good um, good filler. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be um, interesting and it'll stand up uh, on its own two feet. Yeah. But no, this movie will be interesting and it'll have a, uh, you know, a different flavor. And I'm sure there's people who can still get into it. I mean, like if it's a standalone movie, like one of those standalone action movies, but set in space. Yeah. You can still enjoy it. And plus it's with them. Um, a universe you are very familiar with, so it isn't too far detached, and you don't have to do too much world building. You just basically go, right. it's this place. You've seen it before. It's been around for 30 years. Here's some stories inside that universe. Well, that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, your thoughts, your Imperial forgeries, whatever you got for us, at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. Uh, you guys have anything you want to plug? You can find me on Twitter at Silent Hamish, on Instagram Silent Hamish, and Vine Silent Hamish, uh, on the street of Melbourne, if you find me, you know, up to you. It's weird, but don't don't <laughs> freak me out. But um, yeah, I'm usually connected to anything on like Tumblr, Instagram, f I think Facebook, Silent Hamish Art. So yeah, you can find me all over that place, the internet place. Following people. And, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I actually have a new handle, a little bit easier to spell. I want to talk it's about a... this. What What in the world? I was going to tag you in something, and it's like, your name doesn't show up. So I had to type in your full name to get the, the handle. Like, what in the world did he change this to? So, yeah, tell people what you changed it to. 
Well, this has been my YouTube name for a few years, and I was just so proud of coming up with it. <laughs> and and no one else has used it. So uh, my Twitter handle is Megalomaniac, but lo mein is spelled like the Chinese food. <laughs> I love Chinese food. What can you say? So, Mega... I don't have a god complex. Megalomaniac. So, yeah, so spell that for people, Paul. Yeah, so it's Mega, M-E-G-A, Lomain, L-O-M-E-I-N-I-A-C. <laughs> like Megalomaniac. Uh, I will say it's easier to spell than Zychevsky. <laughs> <laughs> Megalomaniac just sounds like it's like a name for an action hero character. And they couldn't think of a name, so I was like, it needs to be edgy, it needs to be cool, and he's fighting a bunch of food-related enemies. Megalomaniac. It's like a, a villain from The Tick or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's an Incubus song. Yes. It's an Incubus song, and I believe it means, like, if someone has a god complex. Yes. Or yeah. something like that. So. But I think yours is like a food complex about Chinese food. Yeah, I have a Chinese food complex. <laughs> <laughs> Scott knows every time I come to the Cape... We have to order it. Oh, yes. Wow. Because evidently rural Pennsylvania doesn't have good Chinese food. No. uh, Cape Cod is closer. (laughs) We're not close. Well, yeah. Are we closer to China? I guess. It depends on which way around the earth you (laughs) decide to circumnavigate. But we have better Chinese food here, for sure. Well, anyway, if you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It really helps us out. And if you do, you will get a shout-out on the show. And speaking of shout-outs... thank you for your five-star review. And may the force be with you. Yeah. Whoa, that was Yoda. What? Ah, we... The budget's been blown out in this thing. An incredible shout-out. Well, thank you to Frank Oz for, for helping us out with that. For Android users, we are also available to stream and or download on Stitcher. We can now be found on TuneIn Radio and coming soon to Google Play. Well, we have been Hamish, Paul, and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. And may the force be with you. And I banged my knee into a table. <laughs>